But we're going to continue to look at the book of James, as we have been uh, recently. There we go. Um, and we're now in the final chapter of the book of James. It's been a long journey to get here, right? But we're now in chapter 5. And the plan is that we're going to talk today about uh, the warning to the rich, the patience that's encouraged to those who um, are being persecuted, who are suffering. And then next week we're going to talk, it's going to be Father's Day. Then we're going to finish up the following week in talking about the prayer of faith, right? And finishing up James chapter 5. But today we look at, we begin with a warning to the rich. This person, this person that's being talked about in the beginning of James chapter 5 is someone who oppresses other people, takes advantage of other people, whose heart is completely in the wrong place. James gives a warning to those who are rich and abusing what God has allowed them to have. Now the Bible says a lot about riches, right? Talks a lot about wealth and there's a lot of different doctrines that you'll hear when talking about wealth. So what I want to quickly do this morning is, is explain that having wealth is not an evil thing. Yet scripture warns that with wealth comes tremendous responsibility, right? And so we're going to walk into that here in a minute. But in Matthew chapter 19... In Matthew chapter 19, and I, I put these out of order just for a minute. The Bible says, And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is communicating that there is great difficulty that comes with riches. There are challenges that come with having wealth. Jesus doesn't say that a rich person will never enter the kingdom of heaven, yet that it will be with difficulty. So we're faced with the question of what are those difficulties that exist? One of the difficulties that exists for the person with great wealth, and this is also true for others, but especially when tremendous wealth is accrued, is that it is very possible for that person to have the love of money. Now, not every person who has wealth is a lover of money. But that is one of the great struggles that comes with wealth. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The rich person that we're looking at today is the one who loves money, who put money above God. In the letter to 1 Timothy, um, a letter of 1 Timothy. It was most likely written a little bit after the book of James. Yet, we're told this. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to be good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. God allows different ones to have more money than others. Why? So that that money can be used for his glory. He has a purpose in it. He has a reason for it. Yet with that wealth comes tremendous responsibility. We're told in, in 1 Timothy that it's to be used for good, to be generous and ready to share, that it may be enjoyed in a righteous sense. Right? In a righteous sense. So now we step into James discussing Riches, And what I'd like to do today is, is read, before we get into the passage, since we didn't read that um, during our scripture reading time, let me read it for you here 
today. If you have your Bibles, open up to James chapter 5, and, and we'll read together. It says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient and establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or, on, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we ask, Lord, today that you would help truth to be communicated. Father, we're here for you today. Lord, we want to hear from you today. May truth be spoken. May truth be heard. Father, we ask that you remove any distractions, any walls that we have up. Lord, that we can focus on you and on you alone. Lord, pierce our hearts today with your truth. And may you be glorified. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's look at the first verse here in James chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep and howl the miseries that are coming upon you. James here is writing to the rich person. Now, now it's a little bit unclear whether this rich person is a believer or an unbeliever. If he's calling out the sin of a believer or calling out someone who is an unbeliever, an argument can be made, I believe, both ways. Um, but, but, the, but what we need to focus on here today is the transgressions and what James is trying to communicate through the first couple of verses here. He tells them they should weep and howl for what lies ahead. Now, not every rich person falls into the category of what we find in James chapter 5. This is someone who is abusing what they have. The words weep and howl remind us a little bit of what we see in James chapter 4 when James talks about the brokenness that we should experience as believers when coming before God with our sin. See, we live in a day and age when, where, where we just kind of push sin to the side and it's really not a big deal when the scripture talks very differently. Our sin should break us before Almighty God. And notice how James, through the book of James, puts the blame of sin squarely where it belongs. On us individually. We're also in a day and age where everybody likes to blame everyone else for everything. Well, I did this, but the reason that I did this, a little bit like the Garden of Eden, right? The reason I did this is actually because, because this person did this to me and it made me really angry. It made me really upset. So I responded in this way. No, you're responsible for your actions. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. 
in James 4, 8 through 10. We talked about two weeks ago. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Come before God, repent and turn to him. Our sinfulness should bring us to a place of brokenness before a holy and awesome God. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Listen, if you weren't here, if you weren't here two weeks ago, you can go back and listen as we kind of dissected this and what was being said here. But we're reminded that we need to come before Almighty God in repentance. And this person needs to as well. James then goes to explain a little bit about what's going on. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. He exposes the pointlessness of the way that these individuals are living their lives. Man, you, you can put a lot of money in this room back here, but there's going to come a time when all that money burns. You can store it forever, you think, but you can't. Here, the riches that they had, they rotted away. Maybe they'd stored a whole bunch of food all for themselves and it had, it had turned rotten. The beautiful garments that they wore to, to have other people pay attention to them the whole time, those are in a closet now and they're all moth-eaten. And the gold and silver that were sitting there to someday be used are corroding. They've sat unused, wasting away. This individual has misused what God has allowed them to have. This individual used it to indulge themselves instead of focusing on the kingdom and using it for God's glory, which we talked about in Timothy. One of the things that I, I think is easy to forget is that one day every material possession on this earth will be gone. The individuals who are being addressed here have decided that they should put their resources into earthly pleasures alone. Verse 4 says, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud or crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord, Lord of hosts. You have lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. These individuals made the decision to, to not pay their workers, to deceive their workers, and keep from them what was rightfully owed to them. They then took that same money, and use it to live their lives to fulfill all of their earthly passions and pleasures. And then James says this. You condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. If you go back to, to James uh, 2.6. Um, You've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? the ones who drag you in to court. What's happening here is, is, is that the, these rich people are taking these poor individuals, these, these workers, into court and, and are using it as a way to abuse them. Maybe even to the point of death. Maybe to the point of, of speaking about them in, in terrible ways and lying and defrauding. And we, we see that. We see the heart of this person is not in the right place. So James gives a warning to that person. You don't know what's coming for you. 
See, James is warning one to understand that what God has given you, you are to use it correctly. Luke 12, 48. Last half of the verse. Every, everyone to whom much was given, of much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand more. If God has given you financial resources, you have a tremendous responsibility in it. To not abuse others with the power that comes with wealth. But to use it for good. To use it for God's glory. To use it for the furthering of the kingdom. Then James shifts. And he begins to speak to the person who's enduring persecution. So he warned the rich individual. Whether this person was a believer or not a believer is a little bit unclear. I mean, James has been writing to believers, writing to believers, and so to think that he would step away from believers for a moment is a little bit confusing. Yet, as you read this, you read what's being talked about, you, you wonder really what's going on. But he gives a warning, a true warning, to make sure that you use what God has given you in the correct way, that you're not to abuse it, that you're not to use it to... Um, Abuse others in it. But then in verse 7 he switches and he begins to speak of patience in the midst of persecution. In the midst of difficulty. He's most likely speaking to those who have been affected by the abuse of the rich that he's talking about in the beginning of the chapter. But the message is true to others as well who endure persecution. And he says the following. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. See, we don't know when Jesus is going to come back, do we? The Bible is very clear that we will not know that until it happens. Yet, we know it's coming. And each day, each moment, we're getting a little bit closer. And we can hope in that. James tells the believers to wait, and he gives the farmers as an example. They needed the rains that were coming in about October time to prepare the ground for uh, the planting of what would need to happen, and then the, the rains that would come about April to help the crop grow and mature so that it could then be harvested. Be patient. Be patient in the midst of persecution. We know that Jesus is coming back and we're told to wait. That doesn't mean that you, you sit down and you just kind of say, all right, he's come back. So until Jesus comes back, I'm going to watch TV and I'm, and I'm just going to put my feet up on the couch. No, we're not to wait idly. We're to wait with anticipation we're to wait telling people about the kingdom of God, about the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But we wait. Verse 8, he says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient. The Lord draws near every day, but be ready, but be patient at the same time. I don't know about you. I am terrible at being patient. One of the things that, that uh, I, I'm known for in my house is being like, all right, guys, let's go somewhere. Everybody ready? Let's go. Because that 30 minutes of patience just about kills me. Just about kills me. But we're told, be patient. Be patient. 
Be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The call of establishing one's heart reminds us of how we must remain focused. We must remain rooted in Christ. Then James says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. We've talked the last two weeks before this about the way that we interact with each other, where the problems come from when we're truly jealous. It's a sinful thing on our part, right? But we see here, we see here that James reminds them, listen, you're going to have a tough time. Persecution, it's not easy. It's difficult. Don't turn on each other. Things are just going to get harder. Don't turn on each other. Stay true to the word of God. Encourage each other. Don't grumble against one another so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. James is not saying that you should not call out sin, right? We talked about this last week. Sin must be called out. But he's saying don't speak evil about each other. Stop complaining. God already knows your hearts. And then he gives this example. He said, indeed, all... I'm sorry, I actually was out of place. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So when the prophets spoke truth, what happened? Do you remember when, when, when you look in your Bible and you read the prophets and you see when they carried a message from God, what happened? Well, what happened was they were welcomed into mainstream culture, Right? And they were brought on mainstream media and given their own talk show. No, right? Not at all. They were despised. They were rejected. And and there's this ideology that exists within our own Christianity that, listen, if I just follow Jesus enough, maybe persecution isn't going to come. The Bible says the exact opposite. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted will be persecuted. Have you noticed how quickly society is turning on Christian morals and principles? I wonder how long God will continue to wait. Because sin hasn't just infiltrated society. Sin has infiltrated the church. Churches that that celebrate, that promote, that preach sin. Because, you know, if if, if you don't accept this, or if you don't love this, or if you don't promote this, then you must not really know who God is. Taking Bible verses out of context, not using the whole counsel of God's word. During your time of persecution, your time of patience, remember the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Remember the difficulty that they endured and then stand steadfast. Then James mentions one person by name. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job and you've seen the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, what did Job do to deserve his suffering? Did you ever think about that before? What did Job do to deserve his suffering? Sometimes, sometimes I think we, we, we look at difficulties that are coming in our lives and we think, you know what? <laughs> 
man, I must, I must have sinned really bad last month because, because this month I, I'm trying to stand up for my faith, but these people are just attacking me all the time. There was a man who lived in the name, and there was a man who lived in the land. Every time I see that, I want to say Oz, but it's Uz, right? <laughs> Whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Yet, you read the book of Job, you read the story of Job, he went through more pain and anguish than many people will experience in their entire lifetime. What did he do? Well, he was blameless and upright. He feared God and he turned away from evil. And persecution came. Now we're told... Uh, James, James highlights, he says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job as Job did his best to remain faithful to God. You've seen the purpose of the Lord, God in his mercy, how God gave us the picture of what was going on behind the scenes. Things that Job did not know at the time and we do not know what's going on behind the scenes in our lives. But we get this picture in the book of Job to what is really going on. You see the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is both compassionate and merciful. One of the things that you'll hear as well as we continue to study the Word of God, and maybe you've heard this, is that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. My goodness, there's nothing farther from the truth. It's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. People say the God of the Old Testament was one who was angry. No, (laughs) look here, in the New Testament, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, and we see it in the life of Job. Commentary writer David Guzik, he writes the following. He said, God was, a very, God was very compassionate and merciful to Job because he allowed, only allowed suffering for a very good reason. God was very compassionate and merciful to Job because he restricted what Satan could do against Job. God was very compassionate and merciful to Job because he sustained him with his unseen hand through all his suffering. God was very compassionate and merciful to Job because in the whole process, God used Satan himself. To the end of it all, God had accomplished something wonderful to make Job better and more blessed and a more blessed man than ever before. Remember that as good as Job was at the beginning of the book, he was a better man at the end of it. He was better in character, humbler, and more blessed before. James says in chapter 1, and we talked about this the first week, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. As James is bringing his letter to, to believers, Jewish believers, to a close. And we still have one more week where we're going to talk, but as he's bringing it to a close, he, he starts off in talking about persecution and, and trials and testing, and then he moves in and talks about it again at the end. Listen, days are hard, and days are going to be harder ahead. To speak out for your faith could cost you dearly. To speak truth could cost you dearly. Yet remember, the prophets, remember that God has a purpose in all that happens. Remember that that God is with you through all of the trials that you walk through in life. James encourages those who are suffering. He says, remember in your suffering that God is both compassionate and merciful. Even if you can't see it at that moment. 
and the last verse that we're going to look at today. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. You know, uh, you guys have heard me say this so many times, I'm sure you get sick of it. My life experience growing up in Bolivia, right? One of the things that, one of the things that, you would, uh, that we would experience is that the, the culture, uh, maybe not everyone, but, but one of the, the culture that you would see in Bolivia is one where they don't want to tell you that they don't know, right? And so if you would go to a, a store and you would say, hey, I'm, I'm looking to, to buy a new soccer jersey and uh, wh- where can I find them? That person might have no idea. But they're going to say, well, you're going to walk about three blocks down that way, and then you're going to take a right and walk about two more blocks, and then take a left and make another block. So you're like, cool, thanks. And you, walk, <laughs> and you get there, and you're like, what in the world? There's nothing here. <laughs> Jewish believers at this time, Jewish people at this time, um, there, was a, there was a concept that existed that if you would swear an oath but not swear it under God Almighty, that it, you had a little bit of leeway maybe to get away with not telling the truth. James says, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. You don't, you don't need to swear by anything. Just tell the truth. May your yes be yes and your no be no. I remember... Uh, parenting advice that I was given at one time. And uh, we were over visiting. Some friends went over to their house, and, and it was that. We were eating outside. They cooked some stuff on the grill. And I don't remember if Nehemiah was, Nehemiah, would, he would have been born at this time. And, uh, and, and the, the gentleman said, you know, one, one thing, I just want to pass one thing on to you. One thing I want to pass on to you. Always follow through with what you say with your children. Woo, you learn that one pretty quick, don't you? You learn that one pretty quick. May your yes be yes and your no be no. A tremendous challenge to watch our hearts, watch our words. So for those who are persecuting others, stop, humble yourselves before Almighty God and repent. For those to whom God has allowed to have much, be good stewards, continue to check your heart that you may not fall into the traps of the evil one. For those enduring persecution and hardship, remain patient, knowing that our sovereign God has a purpose in all that he allows to happen, and he will bring his plan to fruition. Do not become discouraged and go after the family of believers. And may your yes be yes, and may your no be no. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are, a God that is both compassionate and merciful. For in your mercy, in your grace, you sent your only son to pay our penalty on Calvary's cross. Father God, we know today that we do not deserve it. Yet we thank you for being a God of mercy, a God of grace. Lord, for the person today who is in the middle of trials, in the middle of persecution, Father, I pray that you would encourage them, point them to the prophets. May the body of Christ encourage them here, the family at Mount Vernon. God, help us to not live under some type of illusion that this Christian walk is supposed to be an easy one. The Bible says that this is a narrow road that we're on. It's filled with difficulty. It's filled with challenges. 
Yet you remain constant, you remain with us, and by your strength, by your power, we can overcome the temptations of the flesh. We can overcome the evil one. But it's only through you. Help us to remember that. In Jesus' name we pray.